This is Daniel Hagedorn for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. This is actually day 73 of our 365-day journey with you. You know, my wife and I are so passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. So our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to building an emotionally safe home and helping their children thrive. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because they've been our fears too. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent, or I'm not qualified, or I'm going to mess my kids up. You know, as parents, we will do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. For 365 days, you've been invited into our experiment, and we're committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every day, every step of the way. And so we've been in this series kind of exploring the idea of the cultural values of the day. Because one of the things that we want to make sure is that as we are helping our children navigate the world around them and understand and interpret the world around them, um, you know, my wife and I believe that the best lens to do that is is through God's eyes, through His principles, and and we also don't believe that um, we we also I, I believe that in a lot of ways. Um, the way that this has been done in the past is is sort of through what I will call uh, churchianity. You know, churchianity has three basic doctrines, sin management, behavior modification, and just try harderism. And churchianity is probably a, a podcast unto itself. But briefly speaking, it's this idea that all the, the worst things about about a faith are, are brought to bear on society. And so instead of instead of Christianity being a transformative influence, it, it becomes actually an obstacle. And so what we want to do is we really want to explore these ideas that we have around them. And the point here is not to rant and rail, oh, the horrible world, oh, and, and, and get on a big soapbox about it. We want to deal with the, the issue honestly we want to we want to be very straightforward and transparent about it, but but this is this is not a platform to to sit there and act like we're we're somehow better than anybody else. Because if you got to know my wife and I, you would know that we're not. <laughs> we have plenty of flaws and plenty of stuff, and so you know. But but I think that we all have ideals, right? We all have things that we strive for. And these are some of the things that we're really striving for. We're striving for having an understanding of these things. And unless we talk about them, unless we engage in them, and unless we do it in a way that, you know, you're able to honor and respect the ideas of others without agreeing with them, but still give that person honor because you know what? That person is in the image of God. And that commands a certain amount of, of honor just in and of itself. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but you know, I think we need to start getting in the habit of being able to lovingly disagree with people where, you know, it's not about getting squishy about 
uh, cherished convictions, but it's also not about getting self-righteous and judgmental uh, and, and, and spewing that on other people either. I think it's time that we really strike a balance. And so one of the things that is out and about today, I guess you could say, is this idea of justice. And so we want to kind of explore the idea of justice as kind of the best expression of the gospel. And see, the interesting thing is that you can take, I don't care what virtue it is, but if you take that virtue and you elevate it above all other virtues and essentially make it your God, that virtue becomes demonic. It, it become, it, and what I mean by that is that it, it, it becomes a, a force of evil. Let me give you an example. So you you have uh, you know the the Union of Soviet uh, Socialist Republics USSR right uh, you have the National Socialist uh, Party the Nazis right you have you have these organizations you have the People's Party in China you have all of these groups and organizations right and and all of them organize their principles around this notion of equality equality now on one hand. How could anybody be against equality, right? Well, it's not so much that they're against equality. It's perhaps against their form of equality. I I think uh, George Orwell said it best in Animal Farm, and he was describing uh, the situation. He sort of, if you haven't read it, 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 the book is is kind of a a metaphor uh, for how uh, socialism uh, took over in in the various countries around the world. And of course, he's using uh, the metaphor of the barnyard and as though these animals through like talking animals. And in any case, I don't want to spend too much time getting into the because it's not a literary critical, uh, or I should say it's not a podcast of literary critical analysis. This is just a reference I wanted to make. But one of the animals is describing this idea of, you know, quote, equality. It says, and in the barnyard, all the animals were equal. And some of the animals were more equal than others. And, and that's the, the problem, is it's that everyone became equally miserable, except for the people that had positions of authority who were telling everybody else what was best for their own lives. And that led to, of course, all kinds of issues. But it goes back to this issue that I was talking about with equality. And if you take the virtue of equality... And it is indeed a virtue, but you elevate it above all others to the point where in order to enforce equality, you're butchering and torturing and imprisoning people. Well, now you've clearly crossed a very negative line. And so one of the things that has happened is this idea of justice. And that has also been elevated to this sort of position of as if it's one of the highest goods. Now, is justice important? Yes, God is a God of justice. The interesting thing, though, is not only are millennials the first generation raised on the media of expose, and meaning what I what I'm trying to get at when I say that is, you know, any scandal that's happening anywhere in the world is automatically sent to a push notification on their phone, and they're immediately up on it, and so. If you think about it, what we've talked about in earlier podcasts, like about the the idea of doubt, well, no wonder, no wonder 
they're suspicious of things. No wonder there's it's, cynicism is almost an inevitability. Now, got to still choose it, but it's almost inevitable when you're just constantly confronted by this. And so the misery of the world has been set before them like no previous generation ever. Tragedy, violence, oppression from every remote corner of the globe is delivered daily, moment by moment, in every graphic, gruesome, gripping detail directly to their phones. And you know, I have to say, in a beautiful response, millennials, by and large, have risen up to champion the suffering of people and groups and causes their parents never imagined. And I think we should take a moment and acknowledge that because uh, millennials definitely get their fair share of criticism. And don't get me wrong, there are things to say that you know I think are very valid critiques. However, I think you know, if we're going to be fair about it, we also need to acknowledge when there's something uniquely praiseworthy. And I think that is. I, I think that in some ways, this ex- this exposure that they have to, to go through has actually made them very sensitized to things that are going on around the world. But, but the problem is that this agreement has has been embraced at a absolutely profound level. I mean, at such a level that here here's what it looks like. If you're not up to date on every single issue of injustice, from the latest corporate scandal to the plight of the marginalized, you you actually feel a little bit embarrassed within yourself or maybe just around other people who are talking about things that you feel like you should be up on and know about, but you don't, you you feel a little embarrassed because, you know, the good millennial is is expected to, to know and care about everything. You know, it's kind of like you're in a conversation. Really? You know, the chocolate you're eating promotes slavery, don't you? Or... You didn't know the shoes you're wearing right now are manufactured by a company that dumps toxic waste into Chinese rivers? I only wear clothing made from locally sourced organic coffin, cotton by women rescued from trafficking. I mean, and again, I'm not saying this by, by some way of mocking. I'm just saying that it's, it's absolute. There is so much injustice going on around the globe. It's it's impossible to track. I don't care if you develop an injustice app. That there's no way for you to track and keep up to date on all of the injustice going around the world. And like I said, there's almost a level of embarrassment that a millennial experiences if they don't know about everything. It's it's almost like. To, to be ignorant on any point of social justice is regarded as some kind of personal moral failure. But, but here's what happens. And this is where the flip side of this is empathy has really taken a major hit because what happens? Compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue sets in. I mean, it's honestly kind of inevitable. And, and the, the burnout rate, of those who are sort of serving on the front lines, as it were, of justice causes, uh, 
is catastrophic. What does that tell us? You know, I, I know that there, there are a lot of people that we work with in the foster care system, some amazing people. I mean, if I could if I could put an award show on these are the kind of people that I would want to, you know, be putting in the $10,000 designer dresses and tuxedos and giving them a red carpet. I mean, these people do some amazing work. It's just, it's just incredible. Our friend Paula Bonick, she, she works with so many of them and, and it's just given uh, us a connection to them. It's just, these people are just amazing. I, I'm, I'm blown away, but it's hard. I mean, they're, they're on the front lines the things that they see before 10 in the morning, most of us won't see all month, just in terms of the, the trauma that, that's just, that, that just flows out in front of their eyes. It's hard. But here's the thing. Our soul, as wonderful as it is, is finite in the sense that we cannot care about an infinite number of causes. It's just, it's impossible in fact, I'm going to suggest to you, we cannot know about so much suffering without it actually doing harm. In fact, there are even scientific studies documenting that exposure to trauma is in and of itself traumatizing. I know my wife, you know, she's a grief recovery specialist. She's been doing this for 16 years. I don't even know how many hundreds of people she's walked through this process. I mean, it's amazing and she loves it because of the transformation she she sees people have on the other hand i i'm on the other side of it cuz i live with her and i see the weight that puts on her shoulders i see the hurt that it puts in her heart because she cares because she loves people because you know and so she has to work really hard to make sure that she works through even the the trauma of that so that she can continue to go and be available for people, so that she doesn't burn out, so that it actually becomes the joy that it is for her. And so, but for her, she had to be, first of all, aware of that. And secondly, she had to be very proactive dealing with that. And that's enabled her to, you know, I, I think God has really just worked through that process to give her a great deal of joy. I mean, and now it's just, I mean, she just loves it and she's amazing at it. But the thing is, is that if you think about it, let me just put a question. Um, doesn't the just doesn't justice require that we we limit the trauma we're being subjected to by regulating the amount of trauma slash news we consume? I mean, in other words, if we're really going to be able to do justice, <laughs> so to speak. Um, we have to be very aware of how much trauma we're subjecting ourselves to. We have to be aware and even regulate how much trauma and news we consume. I, one of the, I used to listen because I wanted to be a really informed person. So I listened to all kinds of radio stations from all across the political spectrum. And, and uh, I would watch news programs across because I just wanted to consume as much as I possibly could and, and try to find out. And it was taking up, not first of all, it was taking up way too much of my time, but it was taking up too much of my emotional space. And it would make me angry because all I would see is all of the injustice going on around at every, every level. And you just can't take that on without affecting you. Now, I, I still stay up on things. I, I don't 
believe in putting your head in the sand and pretending nothing bad is going on. But it doesn't, I just sort of go online and, and I'll, I'll look things and, and keep up to date, but it's not something that consumes my time like it used to, because it really did. It really had a, an emotional impact on my life. So, you know, I think it's it's good to just kind of walk our kids through the same thing. You know, yes, don't bubble wrap them. On the other hand, they don't need to sit in front of the sewer pipe and just have it dumped on them either, you know? It, it's kind of like, you know, that that game of Twister where you're being contorted in all these different directions, you know, and it's just, it's not good. The other thing is, is that the, the justice gospel is that, well, I guess you could say a weakness of it really is, is that helping is not always helpful. Um, one of the things that I, I found out in um, kind of exploring this, this more and, and just talking to a number of, of friends I, I have over the years that, that work in this, in, in helping women uh, be rescued from the sex trade. And what was really sad was that there, there was actually a majority of, a, of the women who were rescued from the sex trade are returning to that industry by their own choosing. And it's, it's, it's just heartbreaking. And the reason for this is actually very simple and very tragic. Unless the human soul is healed from the fractures of trauma and then released from the darkness that enters into that brokenness, those women are not going to be truly rescued. It's not enough to just get them out of that situation. They also need to be healed from that situation. Justice is absolutely and definitely needed, no doubt about it. But justice is woefully woefully insufficient in healing the human heart. And, and that, that idea leads us to perhaps the deepest and most entangled, emotionally volatile weakness of what we're calling the justice gospel. And I'm going to suggest to you it's because the primary mission of Jesus was not social justice. He didn't come upon this earth so that he could, for example, free the Jews from the oppressive regime of the Romans. That, that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to save humanity from the consequence of their sin, to offer them not just a way out, but a way up, a way up into everything God meant for their life to be. To, to say to them, look, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, I am there to meet you and wrap my arms around you and love you. But I don't want you to stay here because I have so much more for you and I can't wait to show you it. I can't wait to show you. That's what it was. And see, the thing is, the brilliance of this simple approach to just to, to save humanity from the consequence of their sin. The brilliance of this approach can be demonstrated by the fact that literally the global sex trade would collapse in a month if every man and woman purchasing sex experienced this transformative change of heart. If they did, there would be no more sex trade. 
But see, the financial transaction of human beings for sex will continue as long as a depraved humanity provides a lucrative market for it. This, this change of heart, this internal moral revolution that scripture would call repentance, this is the core of the gospel, not social justice. You know, if you think about it on one, on one level, given the fact that um, Oprah has tremendous wealth, she has tremendous influence, she would do far more for the justice movement than you or your church ever will. But, but you have Jesus. So the thing is to ask ourselves, is, is telling the world, is telling our children especially about Jesus crucified, about him saving them from themselves and offering them a life of amazing possibility is that is that central to what we're doing as parents? Is that central to our motives? And see, and this is where we kind of come into contact with the agreement that we talked about last time, right? The agreement that offense is the worst sin. And we get, we get so worried about offending people that we don't tell them the good news. The good news is that no matter where they are, they are loved. But Jesus doesn't want them to have to stay there because he's calling them out and into a better life, a life they can't even imagine. But, but that's the gospel, not, not the justice. And so as important as justice is, as much as we should care about justice, and certainly I would suggest teach our children about justice, you know, it's, we have to really think about it. You know, sometimes people say, well, can't we just do good and let that be how people know that we love God? Yes, and I, I'm gonna say that's the most powerful. And one of my favorite quotes ever is that we should preach the gospel wherever we go and if necessary, use words. But at the same time, what distinguishes what we're doing from secular NGOs who do exactly the same in the charity field? Look, the attractiveness of the social justice movement is that it allows us to demonstrate our goodwill without entering into the difficult task. And this is a difficult task that's very well known to prophets, apostles, and then Jesus himself, that telling the world that much of what it believes and how it behaves is just flat out wrong. And it's not wrong because we're better it's just that we trust that God knows better. Not that we do. We trust that God knows better. We trust that, that God has a life planned for us that he wants us to step into as his full sons and daughters. And so it's always gonna come back to a trust in God or a non-trust non in God. And I'm gonna suggest to you that even if you find yourself saying, you know, I'm not really sure I trust God about this, that's okay. But I urge you, I beg you, please explore that and find out what that lack of trust is all about and try to deal with it, you know? Because the interesting thing is that in our world, if you tell anyone they're wrong about anything, it's considered 
and injustice. And that, of course, places people who want to follow Jesus in a very difficult place. Very difficult place. Because what's happened in the past is it's come off like people are these super self-righteous Pharisee things that just are running around telling everybody how bad they are and then patting themselves on the back because of how spiritual they are. The truth of the matter is, is no one, no one is better than anyone else. It's just like, you know, if I found the cure for um, some disease and I shared it with people, it doesn't make me better. It just means I was cured and I want to share that cure with everybody else. You know, it's just, we get weird about it. But, but it is a bind that Christians are in. Because look, the world in which we now live is a heroin addict committing crimes to feed its habit. That's, John Eldridge laid that, I, lo- I love how he puts it. And, and, and even a lot of this is, is based on his, his stuff. I just, I love his, the way that he approaches this. Because see, here's the thing. An addict doesn't just need compassion. They need intervention. They need to be told to sober up absolutely we need to be loving. Absolutely we need to be compassionate. But the addict also needs to be confronted and held accountable. And I know I I'm, I'm probably will be criticized for even saying this much, and that's okay. I mean, one could reasonably respond that the only reason people are listening to the gospel is because we're involved in justice. And yeah, I, I think there's some legitimacy in that. But my only question would be, do you speak the gospel of repentance as plainly and as often as you provide other services? Because it's only this repentance, it's only this acknowledgement that in God is all truth. You can find a lot of truth scattered all over everywhere, but only in God is there all truth. And what are we doing with that? The suggestion here is that justice is actually the fruit of something deeper, larger, grander. In fact, I'm going to suggest that it's the direct outcome of God's kingdom advancing on earth. And if that's true, if that's truly a coherent and sustainable strategy with our children, then wouldn't helping people learn to live in alignment with God under the influence of the Holy Spirit be our number one priority? I mean, you know, and again, how do you do that? Well, Live that out in your own life in front of your own kids and do it authentically. Again, not easy, but it is simple. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I know there are literally hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. You chose to listen to ours. Check out our website, pk4l.com, for more resources. Please click on the link in the show description to download your free ebook if you haven't done so already building an emotionally safe home as our gift to you. Remember, we are with you every day, every step of the way. Until tomorrow, have a great day.